This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode number 65. Dude, newborn sleep is a doozy, you know? It kind of feels like it's never going to end, and that's just your new life. Will this baby ever sleep again? Will I ever sleep again? I hear ya. You were asking for an episode on newborn sleep, so our sleep consultant, Rachel, who actually is currently living this life right now, she's about two weeks postpartum at this point, but we recorded this when she was still pregnant so that she could function and chat about newborn sleep. We talked about what she knows as a sleep consultant and what newborn sleep can look like, foundations and things to be mindful of as well as what she had done with her first kiddo and how she planned to have things go a little differently this time. If you're in that postpartum phase and you're just like donezo, so exhausted, this episode is for you. And if after this you feel like, ugh, I need more, I need more support, I need more information or tools, come on over to awakekiddossnoozyparents.com We have an online sleep class just for you. And once you come join us, you get lifetime access. So not just for the newborn phase, but for knowing what to do in all the other ages and stages to come. We walk you through how to lay a solid sleep foundation, how to instill routines and habits, how to break some old ones and put some new ones in play, when to know what nap schedule is best for your kiddo or where they should sleep or how long. All that jazz is included in the Awake Kiddos Snoozy Parents online class. Come join us today so we can get that kiddo snoozing. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey, 
Hey everyone, welcome to Voices of Your Village. Today I am here with our delightful sleep consultant, Rachel. And this is going to air hopefully after that baby comes, although it is right now cooking. <laughs> Rachel, how far along are you right now? I am, I will be 37 weeks on Sunday. So I'm pretty close, but I'm a 42 weeker. So yeah, your first one. We yeah. don't know. Hanging in uh, for the ride. <laughs> well, hopefully by the time this airs, for your sake, that baby is earth side. Yes. <laughs> All right. So appropriately, we're going to chat about newborn sleep because you're about to enter this stage and ah! <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people's feelings exactly on this. <laughs> it's mostly that face with a, with a big ah. Somebody recently was sharing some uh, research or an article about how they had interviewed all these women who were um, pregnant and about like, what were your biggest, what are your biggest concerns going into parenthood? And the overwhelming majority, the top concern was sleep. And I think that makes sense because we're going to dive into what it really looks like here. Yeah. I mean, as a second time parent and a sleep consultant, sleep is my number one, like concern for my future. (laughs) You almost know too much, (laughs) but let's chat about what it really looks like. Cause I think for a lot of folks, the sleep is, can be like daunting because you don't know when it's going to end, like when the hard part's going to end. For sure. So when that tiny human is here in that newborn stage, like birth to four months, what are we looking at? What should we kind of be striving toward in terms of how often they're sleeping and what that schedule looks like? So during the day, the name of the game, especially, is preventing too much sleep pressure from building. So that looks like offering sleep like every 90 minutes or so, two hours maximum, um, which I think is like a really strange concept for a lot of people at first, especially with their first kiddo. And also newborns are funny because they don't like tell you that they're tired in a way that you would think that they would. You pretty much tell them like, it's time you're going to sleep <laughs> because they very quickly go from being okay to being like overstimulated. And you hit that wall where it's like, they're acting like they're not tired, but it's because they're so tired. So catching that time where they're just tired enough to fall asleep, but they're not to the point where they start refusing sleep can be tricky and it's a little bit different for every baby but pretty much around the 90 minute mark you want to be starting to facilitate sleep yeah that's awesome and such a great we can chat real quick about like what sleep pressure is because we may have lost some folks And if you really want to dive in deep to sleep pressure go to episode 41 but can you give us a little overview of what that means sure so as your awake time increases so does the pressure in your brain for wanting to fall asleep. But what's tricky about that is when you go past a certain point, it actually becomes harder to fall asleep. It's a real doozy. (laughs) Not helpful for new parents. (laughs) Not helpful. Yeah. And and the hard part is that sometimes this can look like a 40 minute awake window or 45, kind of depending on where you are. Yeah. Yeah. But I love that distinction that you made that like, we just want to make sure it's not over two hours of awake period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very important. Now, for length of naps, does it matter? What are you looking really. at? No, and it will vary a lot because newborns are variable. 
but no, the name of the game really is just keeping a week periods short length of nap is kind of like, you're just going to roll with what happens and do the best you can. It's so hard for my type A self. <laughs> oh, sister, <laughs> not ready for this. <laughs> well, don't you worry. You have a little village here to remind you of all the things. Yes, I do. <laughs> and I think that that's actually so huge that you are a sleep consultant. You've been through this. You know all the things and you're, you're going to be sleep deprived and <laughs> hormonal and all the things. And I think that the best thing that we can do as parents is have that village to say like, I know somewhere in my brain, I know this information and right now I can't access it. I need some support. Yeah. And also remembering that it feels like it's going to last forever, but it's actually a pretty finite period of time um, where you can't really do much about overnight sleep. But that's a short period of time and then things start to get easier. But of course, when you're in the midst of that, it's hard to remember. Yeah, right. It does feel. So what is that finite period of time? At what point do we start to see that kiddos can kind of have longer stretches at night? And what does newborn overnight sleep look like? Well, newborn overnight sleep um, looks like frequent waking and um, pretty unpredictable. Getting good daytime sleep and preventing too much sleep pressure from building can be helpful in getting some longer stretches, but overall it's very unpredictable and they need a lot of caretaking throughout the night. So they wake up a lot and they need to eat a lot because of the rate that they're growing. So pretty much across the board, you're looking at waking up a lot. But what, what does a lot mean? Uh... <laughs> Sorry to, sorry to bring this up as you're just about to enter. I know, and I'm about to dive into it. Um, it varies, but like every two to three hours is pretty typical, Yeah. especially because of how frequent they need to eat. And their stomachs are small, so they can't take a large volume of food. So it's this frequent feeding with small volumes. Um, and so they just wake up two hours later asking for more. Right. <laughs> right back where we started. Yes. Um, um, but that comes to an end. It's commonly referred to as a sleep regression, but it's really a sleep maturation at four months when babies start producing melatonin. And that's when you can start implementing some sleep strategies and look forward to a longer consolidation at the start of your night. And things start to get a little bit easier. <laughs> There's the hope. So around four months when melatonin is producing, now your circadian rhythm is is playing a role in sleep. What is that? What can that stretch look like at the beginning of the night? Like four to five hours before they're waking for a feed, which is pretty decent. When you've been living on two hour stretches, four to five hours starts to feel like eight. So it's a pretty big victory when you can start working towards that. Yeah, it's so nice. And if your kiddo had been waking every three hours, you might get a six-hour stretch. Yeah, it tot- it, de- it definitely varies from kid to kid. Some kids are ready to do longer stretches. My own child was not a long stretcher, so I will be happily taking a four- to five-hour stretch. <laughs> uh, but I also was a sleep consultant at the time, didn't know any of this information. This is true. This is true. And she was 
also uh she's a sensory seeker mm-hmm. i mean i remember all when you... sensory seeking was a big thing so nursing at that point was not for nourishment it was totally because she wanted that like oral soothing but again information that i really didn't understand at the time mm-hmm. um and so i thought like well i must just need to nurse her right, right. Um, which i think is really common when you're breastfeeding because totally. it's so much more than nourishment there are so many factors to breastfeeding and it can be really hard to set a boundary um especially because four months is young you know it's still you feel like you're it's your little baby but it's totally biologically appropriate and appropriate from from an emotional development standpoint to start to set those sleep boundaries at that time yeah no I love that so how can all of this then you were just talking about breastfeeding so I want to chat about milk supply and how it this all they they work together yeah so prolactin peaks in the middle of the night what does that mean um that's a hormone that regulates milk supply but it's even more multifaceted than that because your milk storage capacity and your breast impacts how long you can go between feeds which we have an episode on that and what number is it Ooh, um, oh, I'm going to fail this quiz. It's like 53 <laughs> or something like that. I'll make sure I link to it. Because in that episode. information is really important to know when you're going into nighttime breastfeeding and how you're approaching it. But really, your supply will be okay as long as you continue to feed frequently enough during the day. And really, for the first year, most babies still will do at least one overnight feed. And that typically is enough to keep your supply really robust. And even after night weaning completely, you can still have a great daytime supply. Just you need to be mindful of the changes as you're night weaning. And you may need to add a couple more milk removals during the day to kind of like help you over that hump. And then really you're okay. Sweet. Yeah, I actually had a mom recently who reached out and was like, So this is maybe something I should be celebrating. Like my kiddo just slept eight straight hours and then woke up to feed, but oh my God, will my body ever recover? I'm in, I was in so much pain, like just taking into account that as well, that we're all like, oh my God, I want more sleep. But if you're breastfeeding. Right. You're going to wake up and gorge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And what you can do in that situation is like, you don't necessarily want to pump because that just sort of like tells your body to keep like to expect to feed at that time, which you're not going to do, but a little bit of like hand expression into like the sink or whatever in the middle of the night, if you wake up and you're like in major pain can get you enough relief to just go back to sleep until the next feed. Sweet. Um, I've shared about this before, but my mom, I think is just like blacked out all things. Uh, (laughs) There are five of us. And she says that like, we all slept through the night, like 11 to 12 hours straight. Again, I think she just blacked it out. I don't understand. But like by eight weeks and that the hardest part was that she would wake up in gorge and like need to wake us up in the morning to feed. And I genuinely have just been like, mom, I just don't want to hear that anymore. And I definitely don't want to hear it when I don't have an eight week old who's sleeping 12 hours. So. Right. And like most people don't, no. but I think there is this like, we, there's also just like a cultural feedback that we get of like babies can sleep through the night and my baby sleeps up through the night from three weeks old. And it's like, okay, well some babies do that, but most babies mm-hmm. do Yeah. 
So I think um, having realistic expectations is, at least for me, always really helpful for my mental health of like, this kind of sucks, but it's normal <laughs> and it's not going to last forever. And there are things that I can do to improve it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. No, I think that that's huge. It, it part of our um, sleep webinar and the sleep presentation that I do talks about expectations and that disappointment can arise on the back of expectation and frustration that like if it's it's similar to now if you're like all right by 40 weeks i'm gonna have this baby weeks 40 to 42 could be really really tough if you're like oh my gosh i thought it was going to come at 40. this show is sponsored by better help being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly so hard I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash voices. Having Sage approved audio for our car rides is a literal lifesaver for my nervous system. And I love making lists of podcasts to share with him when he's ready. I was so excited to hear about a new show called Mysteries About True Histories affectionately known as math, M-A-T-H, geared toward the six plus crowd. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time traveling adventures. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for car rides and mealtimes and stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Right. And, you know, it's so true. I remember being pregnant with Nora and I hit 37 weeks and I'm like, well, I'm full term. Could could be any day now. <laughs> well, it was five and a half weeks. So thinking it could be any day now for five and a half weeks is a little bit tough. Um, so I think that what's great about newborn sleep is you can really count on like at four months, like you've hit the spot. You can start making moves. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the unpredictability of it, especially when you're pregnant and you're like, okay, I'm about to have this baby and I have no idea what sleep is going to look like. Knowing that you're not like, there isn't any answer for that. Like you don't know what it's going to look like. All babies are different. What you can count on is not getting a ton of sleep. Um, and <laughs> just knowing that there's an end in sight. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's huge. Um, so with, especially as you're entering this now where, you know, the whole like sleep when the baby sleeps, like, cool, maybe if you have one, uh, but now you're going to have a preschooler. Yes, who does not nap. 
right <laughs> at the same time in a very developmentally needy um, phase because of the pregnancy right interesting nature's design of making preschool <laughs> super needy when you're about to have another child <laughs> thanks nature's design um so what are your plans then for where this baby will sleep especially throughout the day when you have nora so I'm not going to be putting a lot of pressure on myself about having the baby sleep in any certain location um, other than making sure that it's a safe location. I honestly don't care. It could be in the pack and play. We may get a dock a tot if I feel like I need one. He may be on my body if I feel like that needs to happen. Whatever helps me facilitate making sure that he is not getting too much awake time and getting overstimulated because I know that that will translate into a really difficult night for me, for myself and also allows me to be present and attend to Nora's needs. So I'm going to be really flexible about that. And it is my goal not to nurse to sleep every single time I put him down, but again, not putting a ton of pressure on myself. If it's a tough time and I need him to go to sleep and he doesn't want to, I'm going to nurse him if that's what gets him to sleep. And I'm not going to feel a lot of guilt or stress about that. Um, oh, I love this so much. I love it so much. <laughs> because I have to be able to take care of my other child. And I also know that regardless of how I approach his sleep for the first three and a half or four months, I can make the changes that I need to make when his sleep maturation starts. Um, so really, I'm going to be in survival mode. And whatever is effective and safe is what I'm going to be doing. Sweet. I love it so much. So uh, we, we, uh, you and I both as sleep consultants, we get this a lot of folks that are like, but can I hold them? Can I feed them? Can I do all these things? And I love that you just brought up that it's more important that they don't get overtired than where they sleep again, as long as they're safe. So let's dive in a little bit to safe sleep and what that means. Sure. I'm going to throw some stats at some folks here. Okay, cool. There is so much fear-based information out there about SIDS. And I'm here to just chat about it because now we see this giant spike in anxiety of like, oh my gosh, are they? Now Now we're doing things like coming up with products like that little sock thing that I'll let right. just to make sure that they're alive. And like, guys, that is just... Uh, we're just tackling some anxiety symptoms here, but it's not helping the problem. So I want to really talk about numbers. <clears throat> so the CDC's 2016 report of SIDS, here's what it showed. That 0.00038% out of 100, I'm going to repeat that number, 0.00038% out of 100% of kids died of SIDS. And 70% of those kiddos were on a sofa in an adult bed or another soft location. So only 30% of SIDS deaths happened outside of a sofa, an adult bed, or another soft location, bringing that number down to 0.00014%. Which we know that soft surfaces are not safe. Exactly. Exactly. But I feel like a huge part of the SIDS message and a lot of what people are taking away is make sure that baby is on their back. Yes. However, <laughs> we, this is, this is in the sleep course for everybody. We talk about it in our consults that 
stomach sleep is not inherently unsafe. In fact, our kids sleep on their stomachs a lot on our bodies. We will do it like in a, when we don't have access to a crib. I just saw a photo of somebody the other day, like at the beach and their kid was laying on a blanket, snoozing on their stomach and yeah. a newborn. But when we're at home and we think of a crib, then we're like, oh my gosh, we can't do that. We panic. We panic. And what do we know about stomach sleep, Rach? That's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this baby will definitely be sleeping on his stomach. And I was really paranoid about it with Nora, <clears throat> even to the point that when she was like five months old and not swaddled and was rolling over under her stomach that I was flipping her back during the middle of the night. Like, what was I doing? <laughs> um, first time parent really um, had absorbed some of that like fear-based thought process about it and also didn't understand that like on a hard surface with no blankets, no toys, no nothing, it's safe. And <clears throat> when they're on their bellies, the startle reflex can't happen. And there's just something about having that pressure and that sensory input on their bellies that just helps them settle in. And so, yes, I, if this baby sleeps well on his stomach, that's, that's what we're doing. <laughs> I, yeah, th this is actually what my mom thinks happened to sleep. <laughs> this oh, is my mom too. Oh, <laughs> completely. She's like, yeah, we put you on your stomach and we put like 70 blankets on you. You slept great. <laughs> And you're like, well, thank goodness I survived. Uh, <laughs> but that's the key, right? Is the like, right. we want to make sure that when they're on their stomach, that they're in a safe sleep location. So we're not doing right. this no in blanket. an adult bed. We're not doing this, right, with blankets. We're not doing this in like a dock Right. It has Pretty to be. Pack and play with a hard mattress. Sleep sack if they need a blanket, but it's not a blanket. It's attached to their body. Mm -hmm. And no soft loveys, no nothing. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. Pacifier. Yeah. I love a pacifier for sleep. Also pacifier for sleep has shown to reduce it. Reduce the rate of sits. Yeah. It's a win-win for everybody. It is a win-win. Uh, if your kid will take a pacifier. Yes. Which can be a struggle. I mean, not my oral sensory seeker would still have one at age four if I would let her. So <laughs> right. that wasn't a problem for us, but um, yeah, some kiddos don't take them. Yeah. Yeah. Major bummer. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry if your kiddo is one of those kiddos. Okay, sweet. So thanks for chatting about stomach sleep. I think we can't talk about newborn sleep without talking about stomach sleep because there is so much fear there and it can really be a game changer. But if you are not going to do stomach sleep and you don't want that option for that sensory input specifically for kids, um, what can sleep look like? Where can they sleep? Out, out, like if it's going to be off your body or whatever and how do you kind of set up that environment to support them okay this is multifaceted this is <laughs> well sleep environment so having a a pitch black like blackout shade room with a super loud sound machine <clears throat> I like mine blasting and what I found effective <laughs> for my child is like it needs to be as about as loud as a hairdryer to really block out the noise. Like I still need to live my life and I have a four-year-old. So mm -hmm. this baby is going to be sleeping in a dungeon, a loud dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of like location, I mean, obviously sometimes newborns are just sleeping like in the living room in right. bright lighting, just like along with your life and they can sleep through a chainsaw most of the time. So like that's not an issue. But if 
you're wanting them to, if you're trying to do like a longer stretch off mm -hmm. your body, being in a dark room with some sort of like sound machine to protect them from noise interruptions can be really helpful. Yeah, love that. And if you, a lot of folks will swaddle. Oh, yeah. So if you're going to swaddle, they can't be rolling. Right. They can't be rolling. They can't be on their belly in a swaddle. Mm -mm. So if they're in a swaddle, they need to be on their backs. But swaddles can be really good because they do provide that like really sort of like tight, almost like they're being held. It mimics how they feel in the womb. So it can be a really soothing sensory experience for them and can help them stay asleep longer. Yeah. And can take away that moral reflex. Right. Where they knock their pacifier out of their mouth and wake up crying. <laughs> Yeah, that's fun. So I want to dive into also like a few different places that kids sleep. Just yeah. so people know, like you mentioned the rock and play, you mentioned yeah. the dock a tot. Um, a pack and play, um, a snoo. We're talking off people's bodies because there are baby carriers and things like that. But also the snoo, if you are interested in it, it's a crazy cool product. It's very expensive. So it's like top of the market in terms of expense. However, they just implemented a rental so that you can do like a daily rental. Very cool. So to make it more affordable for folks. And we will put, we have a special like link to it. We'll put in the blog post for yeah, it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because it's such a short period of time that you need the snoo. Mm -hmm. um, that renting it makes a lot of sense. Cool. So if somebody is going to bed share with a newborn. Yes. Let's talk about that. Okay, so that can totally be safe, but it takes some planning and forethought. A, if your mattress is not really firm, it's not safe. It has to be a firm surface. Also, no blankets. What some people do will be like, mom may, may keep a blanket around her waist and then wear like a warmer top. Because obviously if you're breastfeeding, um, access to breasts are important <laughs> and you just can't have blankets up by the baby. So it has to be a firm surface. Um, I think in general, like from a biological standpoint, it's safer to have the baby in between the edge of the bed. So you're going to want like some sort of blockade and mom, I, it's not as safe to have baby in between mom and dad because dads don't have the same like biological awareness of a newborn that moms have. Um, and there's some interesting research out there. Or just other parent, if there's another parent. Yeah, for sure. Just the birth parent typically has that, like, biological, it doesn't have to be a mom and a dad, just the birth parent typically has that, like, biological awareness of a baby that remains even when you are sleeping. And there's some interesting research about the way that breastfeeding can support the safety of bed sharing. Dr. James McKenna has a lot of good information about this. Um, and there have been some studies just about they've observed breastfeeding parents versus formula feeding parents. And breastfeeding parents tend to instinctively go into a sleep position where baby is kind of tucked under the armpit and at breast level, which is a very safe position for baby. So bed sharing absolutely can be safe. There are just more factors. It's a little bit more complex than just like room sharing. So being aware of those factors and setting up the safest space possible. Cool. And we can link to James McKenna's resources on the blog post. Yeah, he has ton. He has like dedicated his career to this. And just the information is really fascinating. It's helpful. 
And it reinforces that bed sharing can totally be safe. Yeah. I will put in a disclaimer here that if you're still on the fence, I find that James McKenna's information can also come with some shame if you choose not to bed share. So I just agree with that. take that with a grain of salt if you're like, I don't know if I'm going to just walk in knowing that like there can and be also shame. probably a little bit of shame about formula feeding too. He's definitely really biased towards a very like attachment style of early parenting and that doesn't work for everyone. And formula feeding and not bed sharing are totally legit ways to parent. Um, so yes, keep that in mind. He's biased, but his research is really compelling. So <clears throat> it's worth taking a look. It's so frustrating to spend the money and effort to buy your kids clothes just to have them grow out of the size within a week or have your kids complain that they itch, pinch, or just aren't comfortable. If you're with me on this, you've got to check out Posh Peanut. Their sensitive skin-friendly clothes are made from viscose from bamboo, stretch with your kid as they grow, and they're also made to last. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, super cute clothing for kids and families. It is the softest thing, y'all. The design is all done in-house with different patterns, and it came in the mail, and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to wear this for myself every day. Their luxe women's pajamas and robes were all that I wanted to wear postpartum for nursing and hanging out on the couch with Mila. It helps so much that the fabric is breathable and chemical-free, which means they're delicate against Mila's sensitive skin, too. And I totally get why Posh Peanut is loved by over 1 million parents. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code VILLAGE. Go to poshpeanut.com village and use promo code VILLAGE for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com village, promo code VILLAGE. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell?, laughing in the face of motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're loving this podcast, then you would love our Tiny Humans Big Emotions membership. Every month I go live on a different topic in emotional development so you can ask your questions in real time. Then I give you bonus tools for implementing it. And as if that wasn't already jazzy enough, we do a Q&A two weeks later so that you can come back and share what's going well and ask questions about things that you want some more support on. I get to guide you through implementing these approaches in real time so that we can raise emotionally intelligent humans together. The coolest part? You can have all of this for less than $15 a month. Less than 50 cents a day, friends. Head on over to tinyhumansbigemotions.com to join us for our next live workshop. 
So I want to actually chat real quick too about, I worked with a family a couple of years ago who came to me and said, Hey, uh, when we had our first kiddo, I had really bad postpartum depression and anxiety. And for, for a long time, she struggled for over a year. And then going into this babe, it was their second babe. She was like building her village and her team. And I worked with her psychiatrist. I worked with her IBCLC and we all came up with a plan because she wanted to breastfeed, but wasn't committed to like exclusively breastfeeding. She knew that from a psychological and mental health perspective, she needed a certain amount of sleep. Mm -hmm. And uh, right from the get-go. And so we created a plan right from when this baby was going to be born and how she would advocate for this in the hospital and all those things for her to get six hours right from the beginning. And what it meant was at first she was pumping and then eventually they uh, supplemented with formula as well. But her goal was to like pump and have bottles or have Mm -hmm. um, an option for this babe to feed outside of her breast so that she could sleep and her partner could also participate in this. And I want to throw that out there, especially in this newborn phase. We know that the rate of postpartum depression and anxiety are very high. And I think a a lot of it comes back to this sleep deprivation being so real on top of the hormones. Yeah. And I think too, there's a, not yet, honey. I know it's hard to wait. I'll be done in a little bit. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So I think that there is this like all or nothing attitude about a lot of things in parenting. And I think that breastfeeding is one of them. And I'm a huge proponent of breastfeeding if mom's mental health is in a place to do it. And I also think that it's important that like, yes, you want to be aware of your breast milk supply. Yes, you need to understand the supply and demand cycle. But combo feeding is a totally fine way to feed your baby, especially if it means that you are a healthier parent for it. So I think that keeping that in mind is really, really important in the early days because feeding can feel like the most consuming, difficult, life or death situation in the early days. And you are not a failure if your feeding turns out to look different than you thought it would. Oh, I love that so much. And you shared your personal journey on uh, a little bit about it with the tongue and lip tie and like how challenging breastfeeding was for you and just um, emotionally depleting. Totally. And it really consumed me. And I really felt like, okay, if I can't exclusively breastfeed her, like I've failed. And I know this time, yeah, my plan is to exclusively breastfeed. I have a lot of information. I have a lot of resources, but my mental health is the top priority for me because I can't effectively parent my children if I am in a dark place. Mm -hmm. So balancing that is really important. I love it. I love it so much. And we can link to that uh, blog post that you wrote as well on this. Folks want to access that. All right. So the last thing I want to really dive into here is uh, building habits. So you said like you're open to feeding him to sleep. And also what does it look like to like start to build habits, especially as we get closer to that four month period or as we move through like four into five, what does it look like um, from a language of cries perspective to, to have kiddos fall asleep without breastfeeding? 
yeah. or feeding in general? So my ultimate goal is to move away from nursing to sleep if I'm doing that a lot during the early days. Um, and so that, let's say that I'm breastfeeding would look like I would time the feeding to be a little bit different and like separate it from when he is ready to go to bed. Um, and then for a young baby, personally, I would probably be doing some like bedside, crib side, pack and play side soothing <laughs> and not getting too wound up if he's crying because he'd rather be breastfeeding because I know that he's fed and he's safe. So doing maybe some bum padding and whatever else makes him feel good. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, being okay with like a little bit of crying. It's okay. He's upset because it's not his first choice, but he's cool. He's good to go. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I think that my hope is to get into some sort of like rough pattern of feeding him soon after he wakes and then giving him some awake time and then doing some sort of like settle down mm -hmm. bedside soothing situation to help him learn to fall asleep without the breast. Yeah. Right. And you might find yourself feeding twice, right? Like when he wakes and then closer to when he sleeps, especially if you're going to get like a longer sleep stretch there. Right. Um, but in the evening cluster feeding, I'm all about the cluster feeding mm -hmm. or feeding them. <laughs> <laughs> Take it, <laughs> Take it, drink it, like it. You're going to sleep. <laughs> Why are you pro cluster feeding in the evening? Like how does that affect things? So there's a couple of things that play. Babies tend to be fussier in the evening anyway, so it can just be a good way to like survive the evening. But also from like a milk standpoint, your volume of milk is lowest in the evening, but the fat and protein is more concentrated. So it's like nature's weird design of making babies feel full because they're drinking really fatty milk, but also they want to be feeding more often because the volume is lower. So just from like a logistical standpoint of surviving the fussy hours of the evening and also kind of loading them up in the hopes of getting a good consolidated stretch, I'm a big fan of feeding like every hour from like six to or five, even 5 p.m. to whenever your target bedtime is, which for newborns can often be later. So like with Nora, I would feed her every 45 minutes to an hour from like five to 9 p.m., which is intense. Yeah. Um, and it will be interesting to see how that plays out now having an older child and trying to do that. But it does make a difference for the first stretch of the night if you can manage to kind of load them up. <laughs> Honey, I'm not done yet. I'll be done. That's such a good idea. <laughs> I love it. I love the reality of this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if people want comic relief, you can just leave this in there. Yeah, we'll leave a couple of them in there. So what you're hearing in the background here from time to time is Nora. She's home and she knows exactly where her mom is. And she just, what was the fact she just shared with you? Um, they're going swimming and it sounds like maybe they're taking a couple of dolls. <laughs> they're going to a pool, but what she told me was that they're taking dolls into the ocean. So oh, sweet. Um, Good thing, good thing you know. Yeah. Uh, yep. So, really needed that information. <laughs> oh, toddlerhood. So fun. Also, Nora's right now at that stage, we got to witness a few weeks ago of the like, mom, mama, mama, mama. Even yeah. if she's like on you and you're like, yep. Yeah. And she's like, mom, mama, mom, mom. 
mama, mom. <laughs> yeah. And like, she'll crawl into my lap and try to get like closer, which like at this point, my, I have a pretty big belly. So I'm like, honey, I'm holding you, but I literally can't hold you any more than I already am. Like, <laughs> you can't get closer. <laughs> this is it. You are as close as you can physically get. <laughs> you are on me. Like, this is, there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> Woo. Cool. So I feel like we just threw a bunch of information at folks, but I, I hope it's all really helpful in, in understanding that there's a lot that you can do and kind of prepare for. And a lot of it that you are going to have to give yourself grace for. Yeah. Flexibility, knowing that some days are going to be tough. Like you can try to do everything perfectly and follow all the advice to a T and your baby still may have a really hard day. And that's just, that's newborn life. That's parent life. Let's get real. (laughs) That's life. That doesn't stop. (laughs) There's nothing you can do about that. (laughs) But yeah, just knowing that like, some days things are going to go smooth and some days you're going to be like, wow, this is um, really, really difficult. And that's okay. It's all part of it. Yeah. And almost I, a, a part of me is like, don't track the sleep data to a T because mm-hmm. I, we, I do get emails of like, Ooh, this is what they were doing for a week. And now they're doing this the last two days. And what does that mean? And I'm like, Ooh, it just means that they're eight weeks old. And right. newborns are so unpredictable. And it's the same sort of concept with breastfeeding, like obsessing about the timing or the pattern or whatever it really just is detrimental to your mental health and to your stress levels. Yeah. 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 And that can be so hard to just like go with that flow and tapping in. Like you can say, Hey, I can't, I have noticed that my kid is awake for more than two hours at a time. How do I do that? Like those are are very valid and tap into your village for support. Yeah. And some kiddos are really prone to overstimulation and then they're having these long awake periods and it's a cycle that can be difficult to break. Yeah. So yeah, knowing that you can ask for help about like how to do that for sure. Yeah. And come on into our Facebook group. We have Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village where we can help support you with those questions. People, parents can pop questions in. Uh, we have a whole team of folks who dive in to answer those. Yes. And uh, if you're really at a place where you're like, I need more support than that, we have a sleep consults that Rachel has been doing and I will be taking over while she is growing her own or feeding and sleeping her own babe. I know. Well, I'm, well, I'm not sleeping. Alyssa will be helping the rest of you get sleep. <laughs> uh, and then Rachel will be back in action uh, once she's ready. But we also have the Awake Kiddo Snoozy Parents online sleep course. And one of my favorite things about this is that you have lifetime access. So not only do you get to see like what's, what to, what's happening now and how to respond and kind of what to expect there, but as that kid grows and they're in different ages and stages, or you have more kids and you have blacked it out, <laughs> you're yeah, like, what did I do? To forget. Mm-hmm. And it's constantly changing. Like as they mature, you're constantly having to tweak things. Yeah. And so this provides a resource for you uh, at a lower price point to have forever. And you then get access to an exclusive Facebook group with us and all the other parents who are in this with you. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Rach, where can people connect with you if they just want to follow your journey? Sure. Um, Instagram, which uh, I just forgot my Instagram handle. It's just my name. (laughs) 
<laughs> we will link it, but it's rachel.lounder. <laughs> yes. Um, end of pregnancy, folks. That's all I can say about that. Also, Facebook, which I am in all of our groups. So mm-hmm. people can find me there. My profile may be private, so it may be harder to find me if they're not in our groups. But yeah. totally, if you can find me on Facebook, feel free to come on over. Uh, I really enjoy your Instagram. It is right now heavily Nora and food related and it's a hoot and soon it will be Nora and Abel. Yes. Crazy. So crazy. All right, Rach, thank you so much for hanging out with us. And uh, thank you to Nora for sharing your mom with us for a little bit. Huge struggle for her. (laughs) It is a huge struggle right now. Uh, I'm so stinking grateful to have you on our sleep team. You have. Super grateful to be a part of it. Whew, you've changed you've changed the game for us, sister. Thanks. Yep, I love you. Love you. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook search seed and sow colon voices of your village and dive into that facebook group we cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans if you're digging this podcast head on over to apple Podcasts, scroll down click those stars and leave a review it really fills my heart to hear from all of you Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.